This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3RRR-FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Claire Deke. Claire is a multi-instrumentalist and composer based in Melbourne, and she joined me to talk about her debut solo album, Sotto Voce. Sotto Voce responds to the work of two women composers from the early Baroque, whose music Claire explored and drew inspiration from. Those women are Francesca Caccini and Barbara Strozzi. Claire delves into her compositions and musical practice with us as we hear some of her atmospheric and imaginative new works. Claire has kindly given us permission to have this music on the podcast for your listening enjoyment. To listen to the full album, head to Claire's Bandcamp page or follow the link in the podcast description. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show multi-instrumentalist and composer Claire Deke, who has a new album out. It is her debut solo album called Sotto Voce. She has released previous music, but this is her solo project, which is really exciting. And what particularly struck me, not just the music, obviously, but also the history and context behind the music, which is equally as fascinating. And that is because what Claire has done is she's really uncovered the work of women who were brilliant in their time, celebrated for their talent as composers and musicians and singers, They did amazing things in the Baroque period and they were Francesca Caccini and then also Barbara Strozzi. Barbara, that doesn't really sound like a very Italian name, but but I like it anyway. So Francesca Caccini and Barbara Strozzi and they were in the Baroque period. Mm-hmm. And I know that Claire knows a lot about them because, as she told me, she wrote a big thesis on them, but quite a while ago, so don't get it a quote at all for you. <laughs> um, we won't hear today, but we are going to just uncover a little bit about them through Claire's music and also get a sense of Claire's practice as a composer herself. So I welcome onto the show Claire Deke. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. It's really great to have you on the show. I was super excited when I saw this pitch and also heard your music on Bandcamp and we were just Mm -hmm. talking off air about my favourite tracks from your album and I'm going to start off with the last track on the album which sounds a bit random because I know everyone always goes for the one that just got released or the first one or the you know most prominent one but I said I'm being selfish today and I'm going to play my favorite so this is prefigured in brackets ritornello and we're going to hear a little bit of the start and then we're going to have a chat while it's still playing because it's an eight minute track and then we're going to stop and let you hear little bits of it and then start talking again. So you're going to hear some in and out. It's very atmospheric. It's, I hope, going to give you a sense of Claire's work while we talk as well. So let's hear prefigured and then we'll um, jump in when it is the right time. So here we go.
Now, Claire, I've just faded down that track prefigured, Ritonello, so we can hear it in the background a little bit while we talk about the track and your recording and and process. Um, I wonder if you could take us through the instruments that we were hearing at the beginning of the track and then how you worked with the vocals and how then this all interacts with um, the women composers, like which particular composer were you drawing from? Oh, that's nice. Um, well, this one, um, I think at the very start, you've got an organ. We just have this beautiful, chunky pump organ. Um, and it was all in a church. That was my recording space at that time that I rented, um, kind of when we're kind of going in and out of lockdown. It was out at Romsey. And so that kind of is an instrument in this album mm. as well. Um, so yes, kind of miking that space up as an instrument became a part of it. And that was very much inspired by my partner, Tony Dupay, um, who was kind of playing with those ideas as well. So this big space, this resonant space becomes part of it as well. So you've got the organ in there. I think there might be a tiny bit of harp. Yes, um, I did hear harp. Yeah, and then Lizzie Welsh played baroque violin and viola de moi in there. And I think in this one you might have Judith Harmon playing cello as well. And I think that's mostly what's going on in the start. And then I was singing as well and playing with concepts of, you know, what the voice, you know, metaphors around the voice, I guess, for this particular piece. And... Um, I guess, rejecting femininity, even though, you know, it's a a paradox really with this record that I'm trying to push up against that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's just ultimately, I don't know, people are using the words beautiful and (laughs) someone said pretty. Um, So it's that weird thing where you kind of, you're both. I'm I'm trying to push the wildness and the, the noise and rejection of how things are normally done. But yeah, ultimately, I think if you have a female voice in there, then maybe you're going to get described in those ways. But with those voices as well, I had lots of different microphones um, capturing the space. And with that one, I had them pointing at the back of the room where I did initially have Lizzie performing, but the organ and where I was singing, I was right at the back. So the microphones were kind of pointing away from me. So it was kind of another nice metaphor for overlooking and, you know, that's what this whole record is about, I guess, like thinking about how these women were kind of disappeared through time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I know that um, Barbara Strozzi is Mm -hmm. the, you know, inspiration and the person that you were through time interacting with obviously she's long since passed away Mm -hmm. um having lived in the 1600s but we do you know we do really miss out these days when it comes to musical programming Mm -hmm. on hearing women composers from any era um Mm -hmm. even modern times it's hard enough to get a woman and her new composition on the bill it's getting a little bit better um but you know what what are your thoughts on that as well? Like, what was that a reason why you brought in these women into your work in a different way? Like, were you trying to seek to establish a reconnection with them in some way that mm. because we aren't doing that today? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think these two, I think if you're in music academia or if you're in classical circles, you'll definitely have heard of them because I feel like over the past 50 years, they have been recovered quite well. And that's because, you know, they were privileged in their time. They came from a particular class in society. Um, so, you know, they had access to employment and publishing and people high up in society that could help fund their publications. Um, Francesca's so father was a composer, her sister a singer. Yeah, yeah, they were a whole musical family. And, I mean... My partner and I were collectors of instruments, but also of books. And I have, you know, I've been interested in early music for a long time. And yeah, I just can't read those books that might have, you know, I picked up at an op shop that might have been from the 1950s or 60s mm. or 70s. They're just not mentioned at all. Mm. And if they are, it's about them being performers, which is still like a lingering issue for women in music. We're allowed to be performers, especially if we're singers and especially if we're entertaining um, and we look good and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But they, they were just never really taken seriously as composers not in their time though and not now but that middle middle period I think around the 1800s or so when people start getting obsessed with documenting histories and what's important and creating that canon mm -hmm. that's where they dropped out yeah yeah and it's true that if you are in that field you would have a better knowledge of these people, but they certainly don't get to hit the mainstream. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're not talking about them like Mozart, Beethoven and Handel. No. When I was doing my classical music exams, I was yep. doing Schumann and, yeah. oh, my God, I'm sick of him. Like, <laughs> no offence, Schumann, but, like, it, I reached peak Schumann after, like, two years of studying singing. So, you Did know, you like... Did you get any Clara Schumann? No, 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 no not, yep. even, not the female Schumann. That's the thing yep. that's so frustrating. Mm. Um, I love Clara Schumann and, and thankfully there's some great pianists recording her work mm. in recent times and I've loved listening to those albums. But, yeah, it's just so frustrating. And I, I did a tiny bit of musicology at uni and I wonder mm. if you could tell us a little bit about your background, like what, what drew you to composition but also bringing in this music history aspect to your work, which I think is quite unique in the kind of field. Of course, people are doing it, but it's still not that widespread. Mm. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Um, I guess, yeah, I've studied a lot and I'm still <laughs> studying. And I had a break um, when I had my child. And so this was kind of me returning to that um, and seeing how I can use composition as a space, an active space, I guess, um, for conveying stuff that I probably have no, you know, I can't really have conversations with people in the same way that I can through music. Um, so, yeah, I think that was like a, a, a big factor of, of toying with that idea of working through the senses or through listening or through music um, to, I guess, just spark discussions about maybe we could think about other ways of thinking about history. Maybe it's not linear at all, actually. Maybe we should allow for our imagination to sneak into all of this kind of way of, I guess, 
you know, it gets called recovering or compensatory history or reparative history or reimagining. I, I think music has a really good place in doing all that. And yeah, so I guess I was a student and I studied music and did some musicology and, and composition and then had been working in film and TV, um, making music that way. And so, yeah, I think that's really me in a nutshell. It's mm. studying and then helping other people with music. And this is the first time that I've just done it all on my own terms. And to give a sense of um, what we're hearing at the moment, we've got Dolce Tormento playing. Yeah. Uh, we've been hearing some beautiful strings. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to mute us for a minute so that people can get the full sense of the finish mm-hmm. and then we'll jump back in, Claire. Okay. There we go. We just heard Dolce Tormento by Claire Deek, who is speaking with me about her new album, Sotto Voce. And I know that Dolce Tormento, Claire, was inspired by Caccini and a composition from 1618. We heard some gorgeous strings there that I got shivers, but it also (laughs) just got me in my gut as well at the same time. Like it was a very amazing sensory experience for me. I wonder if that was the same for other people listening. Claire, could you tell us a little bit about the sounds that we were hearing? Yeah, so I think with that one, it was initially Lizzie Welsh playing Baroque violin 
in the church space that I, I was talking about earlier. And she was just going through a piece of Caccini's and she was performing it. And then I took little, mm, I guess, little moments, little loops or whatever. And then I built it from that. And then as I was build, building it, I was taking it to analog tape, like an old reel to reel tape um, as another metaphor. That project is all about metaphors and like, what could this represent? Oh, okay. I'll try that. So the tape mm. stretched it and stretched time, I guess, and slowed down time. And yeah, so, her beautiful high register instrument just became I think lower than a double bass at times um so that's mostly her in that piece and then Edwina Cordingly who is also from Melbourne well actually I think she's out at Wood End she was playing there's a little bit of Baroque cello of hers and I think there's like one literally one note of a harp that I might play in that piece uh, somewhere along the way but yeah it's mostly Lizzie and the tape and just getting lots of different textures um, from that tape and slowing it down yeah it's absolutely stunning I I am a little bit biased towards string instruments but it does remind me and by the way I'm just starting to play liberated size it reminds me of something that someone said. I think it was uh, Max Richter re-recorded an album mm-hmm. from, I think he re-recorded Recomposed, the mm-hmm. Vivaldi's Four Seasons, yeah. and he did it on old instruments. So it was, and I think they were Baroque instruments from memory, mm-hmm. and someone was explaining to me the difference between the sound of a Baroque instrument or, you know, the much older string instruments from actually that period versus now and Mm -hmm. that they have a very different quality like there's almost a kind of sharper quality yeah definitely a different resonance (laughs) could you explain that for us oh gosh I'm not sure if I'm best placed to um not the technical part but just as a listener when you're listening what does it sound like it's definitely sharper. Um, it was harder for me. Um, my partner, again, Tony, mixed it. Um, it was definitely harder to wrangle it in the mix. There was a shrillness. And because what I was doing as well was, you know, I'd take recordings and then I'd either send them to tape, but sometimes I'm also sending it into the speakers in the room and recording that. So I'm kind of recording the recording over and over again. And that's adding feedback to this already Mm. shrill, it's not shrill, shrill sounds unkind, Um, but yeah, sharp sound. Um, It it kind of like emphasizes the higher pitched notes because it does have that distinct sharpness when you get even higher, like there's less of that warm vibratory you know sound that you might hear in a more modern instrument yeah definitely scratchier Mm. sometimes as well and maybe I, I don't know if it's something about playing closer to the bridge as well and yeah I guess they're made differently the the instruments are just completely different to the modern violin anyway in terms of her baroque violin mm. the the shape the bow the string material that you use for the string as well um yeah maybe even the how you hold it I think all that kind of impacts what you're listening to as well indeed but, mm. well you we I'm looking at the the list of musicians here um mm. and we've got Lizzie Welsh 
rock violin, viola d'amore, treble, viola da gamba, Judith Harmon, modern cello, Tony, Tony Dupé, modern violin, viola, cello, contrabass, Edwina Cordingley, baroque cello, Lucy Adlington, lute. Yeah. Um, then there's yourself, and I'm not going to try and embarrass you, but... <laughs> Vocals, harp, organ, piano, accordion, piano, vibraphone, glockenspiel, mandolin, parlor guitar, bandura, clarinet, bass recorder, handbells, cymbals, organelle, transducers, tape manipulation. <laughs> That's terrible. It's the epitome of a multi, multi-instrumentalist. Um, and I was saying off air I love the vibraphone, but do you have a favourite, or I know it's probably hard to pick a favourite, but do you have certain favourites when you when it came to putting this album together that you really enjoyed working with? I think, yeah, I think that vibraphone is definitely one and I just almost always bow the vibraphone so it's got quite a soft um, but also harsh at the time, at the same time there's a shrillness that comes through very metallic. Um, so the bowed vibraphone, the accordion, I'm just a sucker for. Like I, <laughs> I can't, I can't really umpa very well, but I can make it sing. I think if I'm just playing a solo line, and I love that instrument and the harp, I think as well. And I, you know, I'm very different to Strozzi and Caccini. I am not virtuosic in any way, <laughs> but I rely on being able to record and make myself sound better because I can edit. <laughs> I love editing. Isn't yep. it great? Yep. Um, and to close out this chat, I, I guess for those who aren't familiar with Barbara or Francesca's work, were you, you know, picking out different notations or bars and then reworking them or, you know, how was your approach to the interaction? I think um, it was just really allowing myself to go by ear as much mm-hmm. as possible because I was just trying to really, yeah, be led by the senses, connecting in with the Baroque obsession with the senses and the body. Um, so really, I got Lizzie. Lizzie kind of did that heavy list, lifting at the start. She was um, playing the notation that I gave her. She picked and cho- chose several pieces and I recorded them and then yeah just I really just went by ear by moments that I really liked and yeah it was different for each piece as well how those decisions were made because there's one piece which is kind of people had described it recently as a drone piece but it's really just made up of all these little pauses or moments of silence in between um, Lizzie's performance of a particular piece. So I was just taking all the gaps, basically, the non-musical pieces, and then it's built around all of that. So, yeah, it's all very different for each piece. They kind of got constructed in very different ways. Yeah, well, it's absolutely stunning. Um, and, it, and it has to be listened to in full. So I want to ensure that people know they can go to your Bandcamp page Please support artists directly and purchase your work, which is out right now, so Mm -hmm. they can find it in CD form but also digital form. Um, Is there anything else that people need to know before we finish up um, about, you know, engaging with your music, accessing it? Are you going to do any performances or any plans on the horizon? 
I'm not going to perform because I have no idea how I'd perform that one. But the one of the pieces from the album has been used in a film which I also composed and that has its premiere this weekend at the Adelaide Film Festival. It's called Her Name is Nanny Nelly. And it kind of connects to that whole reclaiming histories. It's a First Nations story um, and reclaiming a First Nations narrative within a family setting, I guess the director's great-grandmother story. Mm. Mm. Wow, that sounds amazing. Congratulations. Mm. Yeah, that's more fun than performing. Yeah, no, no, totally. And I honestly don't know how you would perform them live. It's like there's so (laughs) many layers and different instruments, but it's beautiful recorded. Please head along to Claire's Bandcamp, clairedeek.bandcamp.com. It's Sotto Voce is Claire's album. You can also check her out on Instagram. Thank you so much, Claire, for joining me today. It's been so wonderful speaking with you. Oh, it's lovely. My pleasure. Thanks, Amy.
I'm Amy Mullins, and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.